Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome to another week of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs and today's episode is episode 20. And we're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapters 19 through 20, Mark chapter 10, and Luke chapter 18 uh, with the theme, What Lack I Yet? I really love these chapters, especially that question, What Lack I Yet? And I'm looking forward to getting into that a little bit today. Let's first just start with the overview of these particular chapters and what we'll be taking a look at. If you had the opportunity to ask the Savior a question, what would it be? When a certain rich young man met the Savior for the first time, he asked, What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? The Savior's response showed both appreciation for the good things the young man had already done and loving encouragement to do more. When we ponder the possibility of eternal life, we may similarly wonder if there's more that we should be doing. When we ask in our own way, What lack I yet? The Lord can give us answers that are just as personal as his response to the rich young man. Whatever the Lord asks us to do, acting on his answer will always require that we trust him more than our own righteousness and that we receive the kingdom of God as a little child. It's a great summary to what we're going to be looking at today. In particular, that question again, what lack I yet? That is such a wonderful question, yet also a very terrifying question at times to ask. While I was growing up, I remember how much I loved playing basketball, but the one thing I did not love was being corrected in how I play basketball. But yet that's a part of the process, right? I had coaches all throughout my little league uh, years of playing uh, basketball through high school. Sometimes even my dad was a coach, and sometimes those were the hardest constructive criticisms to take were from him, but really from all of my coaches. It really takes an element of humility to open yourself up, to to ask that question in a positive way, knowing that the feedback that you're going to get may expose or bring light uh, upon a a particular weakness that you have or something that you're not quite doing as well as what you could be. And that's not always easy to do. That can be a tough pill to swallow, which is, again, one of the reasons why I love this question, because it really generates or kind of creates a sense of vulnerability and we need to be vulnerable with God especially in order for us to ever really get better. So today I want to give you three key principles that kind of all tie together to this idea and this theme of what lack I yet and how can we improve uh, in such a way that will help qualify us a little bit better for the kingdom of heaven as was the intent with the question asked by the rich young ruler. And another thing I noticed is that today's principles and episodes really are all centered on becoming more like children. Here in Matthew 19 is where we read about all the children that were coming to Christ. And I'm sure as adults tend to do, they probably thought that the Savior was being a little overwhelmed or maybe even children were beneath his status in some way. And so I'm sure I could see all these adults trying to keep these children you know, away from Christ, to keep them in good behavior around him. But yet he makes such a powerful point and statement in verse 19. He says, Allow the little children, basically suffer them to come unto me. Allow them to come to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. He's trying to teach 
all of us adults through that experience, how important it is that we become like little children. I think this is really in part what it means to be born again. Becoming as a little child requires us to become things like submissive and meek, humble and patient and full of love and as the scriptures say, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon us, even as a child does submit to his father. Children are incredibly forgiving and humble and loving and trusting all things that we need to become if we are to inherit eternal life and become a part of God's kingdom. So today as we go through these principles, I want to invite you to look inside yourself and evaluate how you're doing on becoming more like a child in these ways. Now, I know young people, you are all about wanting to grow up, and that's great. (laughs) That's the phase that you're in. But it's also worth great effort to keep the very best qualities that are a part of being like a child in yourself as you move into adulthood. Principle one today is really one of the most important steps in the process of this growth and development and becoming more like a child is to ask the same question that the rich young man asked of Christ. Let's first begin by reading through this account. In Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16, we read, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? And Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these have I kept from my youth. And then here's the question, What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. There's so many great principles that uh, we're going to take a look at here in this particular story and experience. First of all, I just want to again focus on the question, what lack I yet? That's the question that really jumps out to me here. And again, what a wonderful question to ask, but again, a difficult one to ask. Elder Larry R. Larson of the 70 taught this about that particular question. He said, the journey of discipleship is not an easy one. It has been called a course of steady improvement. As we travel along that straight and narrow path, the Spirit continually challenges us to be better and to climb higher. The Holy Ghost makes the ideal traveling companion, and if we're humble and teachable, he will take us by the hand and lead us home. However, we need to ask the Lord for directions along the way. We have to ask some difficult questions like, what do I need to change? How can I improve? What weakness needs strengthening? He mentioned that President Harold B. Lee taught that every one of us, if we would reach perfection, must at some time ask ourselves this question, what lack I yet? And while this is obviously applying to eternal life, it really applies to anything that we want to get better at. Going back to my days in playing basketball, there was no way for me to improve unless I was open to asking that question of those that had more experience, of those that were trained to help me grow as an individual and in that particular sport. 
asking my coaches what I could do to improve or listening to their feedback when they gave it was absolutely critical and paramount to me becoming a better basketball player. Well, it's the same for us in growing, in trying to become a better person. We need to learn to ask that question of the Lord and to not be afraid of the answer that, is, that he will give because he will give us answers and sometimes they will be hard and maybe they'll be a little bit of a surprise to us when we hear them. There's just something good about asking that type of question. Being teachable is a wonderful quality to learn in your youth. It's not always easy, again, to take correction, but it's even harder to ask for it. But when you do, it's a good sign that you are on the path of progress. In his talk, Elder Lawrence gives several examples of what this looks like in life, and I think these are all worth mentioning. One example he gives of a lady that asked that, this question of the Lord, and the answer came back to stop complaining so much, to which she said, I was surprised. I didn't notice I did, but as I started to look back on my life, I could see that I clearly had been. Another young man he accounted uh, had the same question, wanted to find uh, an eternal companion, but was struggling with the process of dating and trying to find somebody. And when he asked the Lord what he needed to do to better move forward in that direction, the answer came back surprisingly, clean up your language. Not an easy thing for him to receive, but as he looked back on his life, he recognized that, yep, there was an opportunity and a need to correct some of the language that he'd been using. In another example, uh, Elder Larson gives one of a single sister who just asked the same question of the Lord. What can I do to improve as, as a person, to get to a better place personally from where I'm at right now? The answer came back, surprisingly to her, to not interrupt people when they're talking. <laughs> Elder Larson makes the point that when we ask the Lord that question, we, we must be ready for individualized correction because it will come very specific things to us that we could work on. And for, I just, I loved reading that example. Uh, don't interrupt people when they're talking. That's very personalized correction. And although it might've been hard for her to receive, she received it and began to work on it to improve. He told about a return missionary that again had the same question, but when he was feeling overwhelmed with school and life, his question fell along the lines of, what can I do to feel more at peace with especially all the, the things that I am currently feeling overwhelmed with? The answer came back to him in his mind was to do a better job observing the Sabbath day, to dedicate one day to the Lord. Now, I know that can seem almost counterproductive, I have so much to do. There's so much with school. There's so much that I'm trying to get done. And you want me to, to take more time away from doing those things so that I can, and that's supposed to help me, right, to feel better and to be more at peace. But that was the answer that was given. And sometimes, I guess the, the point could be made that this is where we need to trust the Lord. We may not always see the big picture. But in all my years of teaching seminary, this is one of the things they recognized and saw happen in the lives of so many students. Every student came to me at some point feeling overwhelmed about all that they had to do and all the homework that they had. And my advice was always to try to focus on giving one day out of the week to the Lord. And I told them, I know it doesn't make sense, but neither does paying tithing when it comes to receiving more. We need to trust the Lord that it, when we give him what we have, that we always get more in return. And although, yes, it will take time away from your homework, you'll be surprised at how much more you're able to get done during the week and how much more you'll be blessed and strengthened and supported to get it done. And sure enough, time after time after time, students would come back and tell me, Brother Downs, you're right, it works. 
when I started to dedicate that day to the Lord and focus on getting my homework done during the week, everything started to, to fall into place a little bit better. And I actually did better in my grades than had I taken that other day to do more homework. Elder Larson gives one last example. I thought this one would be good just to share directly with you from the talk. He said, years ago, I read in a church magazine the story of a girl who was living away from home and going to college. She was behind in her classes. Her social life was not what she had hoped for, and she was generally unhappy. Finally, one day she fell to her knees and cried out, what can I do to improve my life? The Holy Ghost whispered, get up and clean your room. This prompting came as a complete surprise, but it was just the start she needed. After taking time to organize and put things in order, she felt the Spirit fill her room and lift her heart. I love that example. Sometimes it can be just something that simple. But when we ask the Lord, what lack I yet? Or what do I need to do now? Or what more can I do? The answers will always be right and always be something that will help get us to that next level of personal growth and progress and happiness. He said that the Holy Ghost doesn't tell us to improve everything at once. Thank goodness, right, for that. If he did, we would become so discouraged we'd probably give up. The Spirit works with us at our own speed, one step at a time, or as the Lord taught, line upon line, precept upon precept. And blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts, for unto him that receiveth I will give more. Just a, some, some great thoughts there about that particular question. And young people, I hope you learn to ask that early on in every setting that you're in. Whatever you may be doing, whether it's uh, academically, whether it's personally, whether it's in sports or just with your family, with friends, with neighbors, anytime you could ask that question, what can I do to, to do better here in this class? What can I do to, to, to do better for my team? What can I do to, to be better at home to help more uh, here in the family? What can I do to, to be a better friend? Those are the kind of questions, as hard as they are to ask, and sometimes as hard as the answers are to receive, are the ones that can help us to grow the most. So a couple questions to just consider at the end of this principle. What lack I yet? What has the Lord been telling you for a while now to do in answering that question? What has he been instructing you that you need to change or to give up? Keeping in mind that often the most important commandment for you and I to keep is the one that we are struggling with the most in the moment. Practice with your parents as well. Ask your mom or dad what they think you can do to improve, to do better in school, to feel better about yourself, to have more friends, to get more out of your life and to be happier. You'll be surprised by the answers, but not as much, as I think, as they will be surprised by the question. And lastly, how can you develop the regular practice of asking this question and acting on the promptings and the answers you receive? Now, principle two, I want to focus on the Savior's answer to that question, which is this, if thou will be perfect, one thing thou lackest. And then he tells him to go and sell everything that he has, give it to the poor, and he'll have treasure in heaven, and then to come follow me. And the reason I want to focus on this is because I think this is at the heart of where the Savior is really taking all of us. Everything that the young man had been doing, all the good that he had been doing, had been leading him to be able to give the Lord the one thing that the rich man couldn't at the time, and that's everything. 
See, there's a key principle at play here in this story and the key principle in life. I like to call it the cool runnings principle. <laughs> I hope you've seen that movie. If, you, if not, you need to go watch it. But it's basically the true story of the first ever Olympic Jamaican bobsled team. And in this particular movie, there is a scene where the captain of the bobsled team, they end up finding a coach that was kind of a washed out Olympian. In fact, uh, he was at one point a gold medalist, but he had gotten caught cheating during the, the second Olympics trying to win again and was then banned from ever competing in the Olympics again. Well, the question in a private moment that I'm sure had been just ruminating in the captain of the bobsled team's mind was this. And in this private moment, he asked his coach this question. He said, Coach, I just have to know, why did you feel like you had to cheat to get a second gold medal? You'd already won one. That's like everything that we could ever hope or dream to accomplish. You got it. Why in the world would you feel like you needed to cheat to get another one? To which the answer comes, John Candy is the one that is playing that the coach at this time. Young people, you probably have no idea who that is, but uh, it's too bad because he's, he's a funny, funny comedian and actor. But his answer is so profound. He says this. He says, you know, it's a fair question. He says, a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. That's the principle that's in play here with the rich young man that's really in play in each and every one of our lives. It's the cool runnings principle. If you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. See, God intends to give you and I everything. That's the purpose of all of this. That's why we're living this life is God wants to give us his life and he's trying to shape us and develop us and help us to become able and ready to receive it. The irony is that we'll only be able and ready to receive all that God has when we are first able and ready to let it all go. It's one of the most beautiful yet challenging things that we face in life. We were sent to an earth where we want it all, but yet we're here to learn how to let it all go. It, it blows my mind sometimes to think about if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. He teaches the parable of the laborers of the vineyard where they these laborers all started working at different times but all received the same wages for work. And some might say that, that isn't fair, but the Savior is teaching this same principle through this parable that we must learn to be enough even despite some of the blessings that others might have and receive. And sometimes that's where our real challenges come from. We see others that have what we don't and we envy it. We feel like God is favoring them over us. We haven't learned to be enough without it, despite what we see others have. Well, I want you to think just how much you struggle with this, even just right now as a young person. This is becoming more and more almost an epidemic in the world today because we have constantly thrown in our face everything that everyone else has or has done or that they are, which always leaves us feeling like less. Well, we must learn to be enough despite some of the blessings that others might have and receive. In the end, we're all being offered the same thing and we can learn to find joy in those that are blessed by the Lord in different ways at different stages in life's journey. The key ingredient needed for all of us to be enough is humility. As the Savior taught after this parable that it is the last that shall be first and the first 
that shall be last. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him first be your servant. In order to have it all, we need to be able to let it all go. In other words, in order to be enough with it, we must first become enough without it. And this is the journey of a lifetime. So be patient with yourself. But these are great questions to consider. All of us have things that we don't feel enough without. Things that we have learned to kind of attach our self-worth and even receive validation from. Let me ask you a few of these questions just for you to consider. Are you enough without a certain brand of clothes? (laughs) Can you be enough without a cool car? Can you be enough without the team or group that you are a part of? Or what you're doing or what you excel at? Can you be enough without a relationship? Can you be enough without attention from others? Can you be enough without being attractive and in good health? Can you be enough without good grades or any kind of academic accolade? In short, can you be enough without anything outside of yourself that you might be relying on to feel better about yourself and receive validation as a person? Because the truth is that you are enough just as you are, the way God made you, independent of anything and everything outside of you. Because in case you haven't noticed this, young people, everything outside of yourself is designed to come to an end in this world. Cars wear out. Styles change. Seasons and events end. Relationships change. Attention stops. School ends. Bodies deteriorate. The only thing each of us will be left with is who and what we are and who and what we've always been. Your worth as a person was set long before you ever came here. It is infinite and it is eternal. And there's nothing that you can do to increase it. And there's also nothing that you can do to decrease it or to lessen it. In the eyes of heaven, the worth of a soul never changes. Of course, the world will tell you something different, but... That is why Christ taught what he did to the woman at the well, the concept of living water. He said, Whosoever drinketh of this water, referencing water outside of ourselves, shall thirst again. It'll never be enough, because in part we're not enough without it. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst for the physical waters of the world. And it shall be a well of water springing up, can you guess where? inside him. Christ is the only one who can give us what we need on the inside. And what he gives us can never be taken away and it will never end. If you will allow him to, he will come into your life as often as you invite him and remind you most of all of who you are, how much he loves you despite of your weaknesses and imperfections, as well as all that you're capable of becoming. The rich young man had made so much progress in his life, but he just hadn't quite gotten to the place yet where he was able to let go of what it was that he had come to anchor his worth to, his wealth. He still needed to learn to become enough without it so that he would be even better with it, and especially with all the heavenly wealth that God desires to give each of us. But not to worry, he still had time to learn this lesson. Life is designed very powerfully, to strip away everything that we're not until we learn to accept and love everything that we truly are. And even when we fall short of that ideal, God still is patient and loving towards us. Jesus knew what this young man's answer would be, yet as the scriptures record, Jesus beholding him loved him. 
And that might be my favorite part of the story. Did he still have a ways to go? Yes, he sure did. But he had come so far already and done so much that was good. Jesus recognized that and loved him for that, but also saw his weakness and loved him anyways, as he will for you and for me. Now, a few questions to consider about this particular principle, being enough without it. What is something in your life that you are or have anchored your worth to currently? What can you do to learn to be better at being enough without it? What is something that you want desperately but have yet to be blessed with? How can you be more accepting of not having it and better move towards, again, being and learning to be enough without it? What can you do each day that you haven't been doing to better connect with Christ and invite him into your life so that he can remind you of everything that you are and how much he loves you despite your shortcomings and what you don't have and how much he sees in you that is good? Now, principle three, just a quick one here, comes from the beginning of the exchange between this young man and Christ. The young man, in asking him the question about what he should do to have eternal life, he he begins by addressing Christ as good master. But before Christ answers his question directly, I believe he also tries to give him the answer indirectly. Because Christ begins by responding with saying, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Do you see what Christ was doing there? Especially in context with the conversation that he was about to have with this rich young ruler. He was deflecting worldly praise to where it belongs, and that's to God. The moment we begin to think we are good at something is the moment we open the door to one of Satan's greatest tools, and that's pride. Now, there's nothing wrong with being good at something and striving for greatness in it. But if we, are, if we think that we are great because of it, then we're definitely moving towards becoming less humble. Christ, since the very beginning, always took the position of humility by telling God that if he were selected to administer God's plan on earth, that all the honor and glory would be God's. And he followed that pattern all throughout his life giving all the praise, all the credit, all the glory, always to God. Now, Satan, on the other hand, well, he took a very different position. He, The position that he took was that he wanted the honor and glory for himself. Boy, can you see the cool runnings principle at play here again? Satan was never enough without it, so he could never be trusted with it. Christ, on the other hand, was always enough without it, which is why now he stands on the right hand of God with all of it, all the honor and the glory and the power that God has to bestow on each and every one of us. Back when I was teaching seminary, I remember seeing an article about that particular year's Mr. Football who was selected in the state of Utah. It was a running back from Alta High School that had been selected. And on this front page write-up about him, It was customary to also have a picture taken of the particular athlete selected for such a prestigious title. However, this young man refused to have his picture taken alone. He insisted the picture of him include his linemen in it. His linemen were those who would block and create the holes for him to run through. I remember thinking what a great gesture that was. Such a great gesture of humility. 
Here was a young man who was learning to be enough without all the attention by simply sharing the spotlight of it with others. I love watching all young athletes, especially acknowledge God after a great performance. It's a simple thing to do, but it really aligns with following Christ's pattern and giving all the credit for everything that we have, everything that we do, and really everything that we are to the one from which they all came from, and that's God. He's the one who gave us life, who instilled these talents in us. It's Him is the one that provides the opportunities for these talents and abilities to be on display and to impact others. There will be times in each of our lives where our pride and and our vain ambition will be appealed to. Times where we'll have the spotlight put on us or times where we'll want the spotlight to be put on us. I hope that each of us in these moments will be as quick as Christ was and this young man from Alta, for that matter, to deflect the attention to all of the others that certainly deserve it as well and most of all to God. It's the meek and the humble that will inherit the earth. Quite frankly, because it's the meek and the humble that have learned to be enough without it. Now, a couple key questions for this particular principle. First of all, I'd like you to consider what talents do you have? What are some of the things that you're good at? And how can you better acknowledge all of those that have played a part in helping you get there, that have played a part in your success, whatever it might be? How can you make sure to always give God the credit for those things that you do and succeed at? How can you practice greater humility in your life while at school or while at work or with your friends? How can you be more humble at home? Even be more accepting of your parents' rules and their wishes for you and respecting them for them. I wonder if that's partly why one of God's Ten Commandments is simply to honor our father and mothers. If it isn't to help keep us humble, the more that we acknowledge and thank them for all that they've done for us and strive to bring honor to them instead of ourselves. I think it really helps us to take a step closer towards becoming like Christ in how he always tried to do those things that please God and gave him the honor. Now, hopefully those principles are some that will help you this week as you go through and consider your study of of this week's Come Follow Me material. So much more to be learned in there. But as always, remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful, whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness, is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and He invites us all to come follow me. So let's follow Him better this week, as always, and become better as we follow Him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.